All right. Happy Friday, everybody. And welcome back to another episode of The Pinch Point. We got some good stuff to cover this week with y'all. So before we dive into our uh, news and updates for you, we got a couple items to address that I keep forgetting to talk about just because I get so caught up and uh, I don't know what you, you could say. I get so not emotional. What's the word I'm looking for? I just get, I get wrapped up and passionate. passionate. There you go. I'm full of passion and emotion for these stories. But before we jump into that, somebody did ask because I completely forgot to update you guys on our smallmouth fishing trip that we took a couple weeks ago to Sturgeon Bay. And it was terrible <laughs> to be completely honest with you. It was probably the worst fishing trip I've ever had up there. And I'm not a hundred percent sure why. Um, probably because we weren't fishing in the right spots and because we just weren't good fishermen. We went the same weekend as the Sturgeon Bay Open, and there was on Friday, we fished Friday and Saturday, which were, and Sunday actually, which were the same, Friday and Saturday were the same days as the Open, and there was guys turning in 30-pound bags of fish, which is a, over a six-pound average, <laughs> and we couldn't manage to catch anything. But we also tried to avoid the areas where uh, all those guys were fishing in the tournament, so we stayed a little bit farther north, which was probably just a little bit out of the, the pre-spawn money. So yeah, it was pretty rough. I think I caught five or six smallies in like three days. Like it was pretty bad. But my brother-in-law that went with me, Jeremy, he didn't catch a single fish in three days. <laughs> it was terrible for him. So it kind of left me with a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I'm not going to lie. I was like super disappointed that we just didn't catch any better fish. So uh, yesterday actually, yeah, I guess so. So today's Friday. So on Wednesday, uh, I took a half day off work. I grabbed my son, Joey. We ran up there. We fished uh, Wednesday evening for a couple hours. And then we fished yesterday morning out on the flats on Sturgeon Bay. And we hammered the fish. We probably caught 40 yesterday, at least 30. I don't know. My thumb is just torn to shreds. I'm not sure I could take any more fish off the hook because I had to take his off in addition to mine. So yeah, yesterday was quite possibly one of the best, most fun days of fishing I've had. We didn't catch any giants. Biggest one was right about five, maybe just a little under five pounds, but we caught a pile between four and five pounds. So it was awesome. Double thumbs up to yesterday. It is on fire up there right now. Uh, next thing we're going to talk about, uh, unfortunately, my antelope trip looks like it is canceled for August. Um, so we've been talking a lot about the winter kills out West and the tag allocations. The one thing that I didn't keep in mind was that with reduced tag allocations, it's going to make it more important to have preference points in order to draw. So uh, I have one preference point. The guys I was going with don't have any. And I believe in Wyoming, you can combine and then average out your points. But with those guys not having any points at all, there's literally zero chance of us drawing. So we decided to pull out of our antelope trip for this year. Um, Dustin says, you know, he could just be softening the blow for us, but he says he just picked up access to a new antelope area that has some jumbo antelope in it, like big, big ones, but it's going to take us two or three points to draw. And I've shot plenty of antelope at this point in my life. Just, I haven't killed a big, big one. Um, and that's kind of what I want. So I was like, I would be very happy to delay my trip two or three years if I can get an opportunity to shoot a bigger goat. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do for this fall. Um, kicking around the idea of maybe doing an over the counter early season hunt somewhere that opens in September. So that would be something like, um, Nebraska, Kentucky, Missouri, one of those three, 
potentially on the radar. Even Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin's obviously a lot closer to home. Um, so yeah, I'll probably end up doing a, an early season uh, September whitetail, you know, trip, a three four day weekend, something like that somewhere. So uh, that's that. The last thing to update: I've had a couple comments from folks that. Don't always appreciate the swearing, although I've tried not to go too crazy. I always felt like when we wanted to do pinch point that the conversation or the topics of conversation were going to be a little bit more mature. After all, we are talking about a lot of crimes and people shooting people and attacking people and in insta hose and whatnot. So we've always felt like as compared to bow hunter die, this is like one step above in terms of like the age, uh, that we're kind of targeting. So yeah, if you're sensitive to that type of stuff and you want to watch this with little kids, I would say viewer beware. It is intended for slightly more mature audiences. I'm not going to go crazy. Um, you're not going to get the locker room talk that happens or the hunting camp talk, but yeah, we are going to throw in a few swear words every now and again, and I'm not really going to apologize for it. I am a 40 plus year old man talking about more adult level topics. So I guess just deal with it. So with all of that said, let's jump into this week's topic. So the hot one going on right now, and this is a, this, I don't know if this is going to be considered our positive one for the week, but the big victory right now is the corner crossing case um, out of Wyoming. So I know that we wrote about this on bowhunting.com. We've been kind of covering as it, covering it as it goes, but I would say the, the, the publication that's really been spearheading this and where I ultimately found out about it a couple of years ago is going to be meat eater. Um, so I'm going to reference their article. So I'll read you the, uh, the first, you know, paragraph or two. Federal judge in Wyoming ruled last week that public land users who corner cross are immune from civil liability as long as the crossers do not touch the service of private land or damage private property. So, excuse me here, I'm going to cough. <clears throat> so, for those of you who may not be familiar with the case, you know, when you look out west and you look at public land specifically, there's this, in certain areas and cases, there's this checkerboard pattern of private land and public land that is intertwined. And I don't quite understand the history of how it got to be this way, but you have, I think, something like 9 million acres, they say, of public land that is essentially inaccessible to the public because the only way to get to it is through private land. So it's kind of landlocked. Now, in a lot of cases, you have um, two parcels of public land that adjoin each other at a corner, but obviously you can't like you can't physically get from uh, one parcel to the next without at the very least passing through the airspace above uh, the private land. So that's really where this whole thing started. A group of guys, I think they were from Missouri, maybe were out in Wyoming. They carried a ladder. They like, I think they built or fabricated like a special ladder. They carried it out there and they set it up so that the ladder was always on the public land. It never touched the private and they went up and over and they used that to essentially hop from one piece of public to the next. Now, the ranch that borders this is a private ranch and um, it's owned by a billionaire. Uh, I forget his name. It's like Esch Eshelman, Fred Eshelman. Um, I'm not going to bother going into details on who he is. Let's just say he's a billionaire and he took exception to these guys doing this. And first, um, I think it was the ranch 
manager or whatever, I think called the the fishing game and they came out and I believe these guys did get cited for some sort of trespassing, took that to court. Um, criminal charges were dropped. It was determined that they did not trespass. So then he files a civil suit against them. And this is what I think is just bullshit. I'm just going to say it. Like I can't even fathom what some people will do with their money. So he essentially said he has this, this ranch that has essentially exclusive access to the public land because he owns the, the land that allows you to easily access the public. So he's saying that by these guys doing this corner crossing and that being ruled that they did nothing criminally wrong, that they devalued his property by something in the terms of three to seven million dollars. So somewhere in that range between three and seven million bucks, his farm or his ranch is now worth less money than it was worth before. Ultimately saying that like, hey, my ranch is worth more money because I have exclusive access to this public land, which is insane to me. So he sues these guys, these four hunters from Missouri. It ends up going to a federal judge in Wyoming who uh, at the end of the day rules and says, no, these guys didn't do anything wrong and you cannot hold them civilly liable for these um, damages that you're claiming to your property because they never actually stepped foot on your property. They didn't damage your property or anything like that. So it was a huge win, uh, not just for these guys, but for hunters everywhere. Um, you can read the article on Meat Eater. We will leave uh, a link to it um, in the description of this video, but it's really, it's been really cool to follow along with this case, um, and just see, uh, the overwhelming support from other hunters, the fundraising that's ha been happening to afford the legal fees. As you can imagine, when you're just four guys from Missouri and you're going up a, against a billionaire who has essentially limitless amounts of funds that can just try to make your life hell, um, you definitely need some outside support. So, I uh, I thought it was awesome. You know, they do, uh, caution everybody to say like, Hey, in spite of this ruling, um, this hasn't, there hasn't been a precedent set at the federal level. There is not like a federal law. The U S Supreme court has not ruled on this. Uh, it's certainly possible that it could get there at some point in time. So they tell everybody like, you know, temper your expectations of what you can and should be doing out there. Cause if you go do this, you can still get, I guess, criminally charged in certain states or civilly charged, like until there's a federal precedent that is set over everybody, like uh, do this at your own risk uh, is essentially what they say in the Meat Eater article. But I thought it was really cool. Um, just been a really neat story to follow along with. You know, we don't really have that issue here in the Midwest. Um, so it's not something that I can personally relate to, but I do you know, I love it that these guys, that these four guys decided like they were going to be the ones to stand up to this, you know, bullshit of all these checkerboard pieces of land that you can't access even though they're public land. Like, what's the point of having a public resource if the public can't use it? It's literally the entire point of the public owning it is so that they can use it. Um so yeah, the other thing too is I just can't believe the balls on these guys to say that you devalued my property, so I'm going to sue you because you did something, and then we're found uh, not guilty criminally for it. Like, like it's just I don't know, it's completely insane to me. Maybe if I was a billionaire, I'd feel the same way. But uh, yeah, f that guy. So let's move on to the next one. And this one, there's not a whole lot to talk about here, but it does just bring back a memory that I want to share with you all. And maybe for some of you 
who may be close to my age, you can relate with this memory. So the headline reads, 77-year-old man shot while turkey hunting in New Hampshire. Um, They don't give a ton of details. A 77-year-old man drove himself to the hospital after reportedly being shot while turkey hunting in New Hampshire. Um, He suffered non-life-threatening gunshot wound while turkey hunting turkeys with a friend. Uh, They don't really know who shot him, if it was his friend or somebody else. So again, not a very like intriguing story by any means. But it brings back memories of when I went through my hunter's education class and I was 11 or 12 years old. And and some of the videos they made us watch were turkey hunting videos because it seems like every year turkey hunters are getting shot somewhere, Um, which every time I see like a reaping video where a guy's got a fan and he's out there sneaking behind it, I think to myself, like, that looks like a great way to get yourself shot mostly because of these videos that we watched in our hunter's education. And I'll never forget, um, they always like cautioned you, don't have anything red, white, or blue with you or on your person or anything like that when you're turkey hunting, because that's obviously the color of a turkey's head. And apparently you get a bunch of idiots running around with guns that see that and then just shoot at it, which I still just get blows my mind. But I just remember this video they showed. It had this like terrible like 80s cheesy like music. It's a guy sitting against a tree turkey hunting. I think he's calling. He might have some decoys out. And he goes to use like a handkerchief to like, I don't know, blow his nose or wipe sweat off his face or whatever he's going to do. And he pulls out. It was like a red, white, and blue handkerchief. Maybe it was red. And he's like, I don't know, blowing his nose. And the guy sees it. Boom. Shoots. And I just remember like that freaking me out. Like, oh my God, I'm going to get shot in the face by somebody if I ever have anything red on or with me. So I'm like paranoid when I'm carrying my turkey decoys around. I always have them in like a bag. I have the little yellow flag, or I shouldn't say yellow, orange flag, like pulled out of the bag. You know, I'm just like always worried somebody's going to shoot me because of that video. It was like kind of traumatizing when I was a kid. I guess... If you're going to be traumatized as a kid, it's it's best to be traumatized uh, in a way that keeps you safe, I suppose. But that was like the first thing I thought of when I saw this article. I was like, oh, man, hope that guy wasn't like blowing his nose with a red handkerchief and his buddy shot him in the face. So that's today's lesson. Just leave your handkerchief. I don't even own a handkerchief. In fact, I don't think Jim Shockey should definitely not wear that red handkerchief that he wears when he goes turkey hunting. Somebody get a note to Jim we could potentially save his life. Let's carry on, shall we? The next one, this this one, this is a great story too. So I read uh, Montana, 94.9 KYSS, Montana's country leader, had a little story that clued me into this. It says, ex-NFL player is going viral for bear hunting in Montana. And it turns out that it's none other than former Chicago Bear quarterback, Jay Cutler the source of some of the greatest memes of all time. Smoking Jay Cutler, probably one of my favorite like memes, I think, of all time as a Chicago sports fan. My friend Dan, uh, whose who's property that we turkey hunt on with my son, Dan, it was, he was from Wisconsin, so he's a Packers fan. And he always thought it was you know hilarious because Jay, Jay Cutler was uh, much maligned as a quarterback here in Chicago. So Dan actually bought me a Jay Cutler jersey and gave it to me like as a joke after the Packers beat the Bears in the NFC Championship game. If you remember, that's when Jay hurt his knee, couldn't come back in the game. 
So Dan bought me a Jay Cutler jersey. I'm not sure if it's real. I think it's a, just a fake like knockoff, but you can't tell. It's a really good jersey. I still own it, and I still wear it a couple times a year when I'm watching Bears games. I like my Jay Cutler jersey. And I think a lot of people didn't like Jay when he was here, but I'll never forget. I used to listen to a lot of sports radio back in those days. And Jay was always on the radio on like Monday or Tuesdays on my drive home. And I would listen to him. He was a guest on a, on a radio show. And I was like, this dude is hilarious. Like Jay Cutler cracks me up. And then I remember seeing him do an interview and I think he was wearing a Sitka or a Kuyu hat, one of the two. And I was like, whoa, Jay Cutler hunts. I was like, there's nobody wearing like Sitka or Kuyu stuff unless they hunt, right? As a that was my thought anyways. And then somebody I know was watching that stupid reality show that is now ex-wife had. And they showed me a scene where I think he was checking trail camera pictures like on his laptop back before we had cell cameras. And he was like showing them to his wife, like check out these bucks or whatever. And I was like, all right, Jay Cutler's hilarious. He's a hunter. And yeah, he might not have been the best quarterback in Bears history, although maybe he was. I don't know. We have crappy quarterbacks, but I just had an all new respect for Jay. So Jay goes out to Montana. He shoots this bear and it gets posted on this in or I'm sorry, outsider IG account, which I don't even know. I've never heard of this before, but it's got a blue check mark outsider IG. And they just post success in Montana. Congratulations, Jay. Be bold and live free. And as you can imagine, it got a wide variety of responses from different people. And uh, I was just listening to a Rogan podcast, actually, when I was driving up to, to Sturgeon Bay or home, one of the two, and he's talking about an old Instagram he uh, post he had that was like the hierarchy of dead animals on the internet. And like, if you post a picture of you with like a fish that you caught and killed and ate, like nobody cares, but then you know, people care a little bit, maybe about a deer or something like that. But then when it comes to bears, I don't know what people's deal is. They just lose their shit when it comes to bears. So you got a bunch of people, you know, leaving comments as you would expect. Um, there was a guy, do you, do you know who Tim Hamilton is, Brando? No, he's got a blue check mark. I don't know who he is either. He has 8,700 followers. He only has one post, but he has a blue check mark. How is that possible? Money. He's got money. The only picture of him, he looks like a hipster. He's got this stupid little black knit hat on, but it's like way up high on his head. And he's got a hipster glasses and a mustache. I don't even know who Tim Hamilton is. He's a he, him, according to his profile. But what did he say? Disturbing. Why is this celebrated? Because it's a great accomplishment and it's a hell of a good time, Tim you, he looks like the kind of guy that could use a little good time in his life. He looks like an angry douche. So there was a lot of support and there was a lot of uh, not support, negative comments. I did enjoy this one. Minutes later, Jay threw an interception. Kind of funny. <laughs> kind of funny. I mean, I think Jay would probably laugh at that. Funny story. A couple people I know uh, moved to Tennessee recently. And the woman is a teacher and Jay's kids go to school where she teaches. And uh, she said he's an awesome dude and really hilarious in real life. So good for, good for Jay. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I just thought this was a good post. Poor animal. Yes, poor animal. It's now dead and it's being eaten. So poor animal. All right, let's go to the next one. This this one, man, I, didn't, I wasn't sure what to make of this. I saw this on Forbes. 
the headline reads, insiders look to burden hunting and fishing guides with new red tape. So um, the story actually comes out of Michigan and it essentially says that there's a group of what I believe are, are hunters and fishermen in Michigan that have kind of banded together and they're trying to get um, a law passed that would require hunting and fishing guides, commercial hunting and fishing guides to be licensed by the state. And my initial feedback was like, well, that makes sense. I mean, it seems like if you are going to be doing that and partaking in some sort of commercial operation, you should be licensed to do this. Then I thought about it. I was like, well, we don't need a license to do all sorts of other things that we do. I don't need a license to have this podcast or to be a web developer or an IT guy. Like you just, you just do it. So like, why do we need a license? Um, so I read through this article and the person that wrote it, who, who wrote this thing? Andrew Wimmer from the Institute for Justice, I believe. So he's advocating for people. You know, he makes a lot of good points of saying like, why the hell do we need this? This is just gatekeeping. It's just more hurdles for people to have to jump through, more licensing, more costs for the state, more management. Like, and I was like, yeah, you know, he's probably right. It does sound like there's some good points. They want to institute like some policies that says like you have to have a first aid kit with you. You have to go through CPR training. Um, you have to do like a couple other things. You have to uh, submit like a monthly report like on how many people you took out and I don't know what fish they caught or animals they shot or whatever the case may be. I know here in Illinois, you, you I know for sure you have to have a license if you're going to be a hunting guide or outfitter. Uh, I don't know about fishing. I'm going to assume that it's probably the same. This is probably commonplace in a lot of areas. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, I don't really like the government. I don't really like a lot of extra red tape and fees and licenses if they're not needed. And unless there's some sort of rampant problem where people are dying on a fishing or hunting trip because their guide didn't know CPR or have a first aid kit with them, like, eh, I, I, I don't know that it's necessarily needed. After reading this article, I think this person changed my mind and my opinion because at first blush, I was like, yeah, this kind of makes sense. We should license these people. And then the more I read through it, the more I was like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't license these people. So I don't know. Let me know what you guys think out there. Should we require government-issued licensing for commercial hunting and fishing guides? I say no. Um, moving on. This one I'm going to read just because it's got a great headline. It really doesn't have anything to do with, with hunting, but it, it mentions a crossbow. So I, I'm now allowed to talk about it on the pinch point. This comes from uh, the Daily Mail, the UK version of the Daily Mail. It's a, it's a long headline, but it's a great one. It got, got my attention. COVID anti-vaxxers unhinged plot to blow up 5G masts with her crossbow-wielding neo-Nazi partner in crime. Conspiracy theorists believed mobile phone network was linked to jab rollout and encouraged attacks on MPs. That is a long-ass headline. Uh, but essentially, you got some crazy lady uh, in the UK... Uh, where did she go? What's her name? 59-year-old Christine Grayson. Um, we're, they're trying to get rid of mobile masts, which I think we would call antennas here in the U.S. Does that sound accurate? A mast via an antenna? Um, they were trying to get rid of them with expanding foam and angle grinders. <laughs> so basically, it sounds like they were on uh, some sort of online app 
and they were talking about this stuff. And then her, uh, her neo-Nazi crossbow wielding accomplice is Darren Reynolds, who was 60. Um, yeah, they arrested both of these people. And when they went to their house, they got these crossbows and Brando, you could pull up the picture of this crossbow here. What I thought was hilarious was like the crossbow that they show here, I'm pretty sure may be incapable of shooting the crossbow bolts that they show with it. Although maybe not, it's hard to tell. The bolts that they show look like a pen. They're literally the size of a pen. They're meant to be shot out of like a handheld little handgun kind of looking crossbow. This thing, I can't really get a good look at it, but it looks like they may have stolen it from like medieval times or something. <laughs> it's just completely ridiculous looking. So yeah, crazy people thinking that um, they're going to take down the 5G masts, masts with their crossbow in the UK. Moving on to other crazy people doing dumb stuff with crossbows and little handheld ones. We have another report of a cat that was shot with an arrow out of a crossbow and it survived. What is up with these people? This one was shot in the head in Letonia. I believe this is Ohio when I looked it up. Letonia police chief Howder said he is investigating the case of animal cruelty and is hoping that anyone with information about the shooting will contact his office so the person responsible can face charges. So you have this cat. Its name is Sparkles. Um, it came home from wherever it was at, and it came home with an arrow sticking out of its face. Now, again, it was like a little tiny, like four to five inch thing, probably shot out of a little toy crossbow. Um, but some idiot shot this thing in the face. It went home. Thankfully, it survived. I'm not a cat person, but this looks like a cute little little cat. It was some like 15-year-old girl's cat. Why somebody would shoot it in the face with a stupid little crossbow is beyond me. So once again, don't shoot the cats with the little crossbows, right? That's all I'm going to say on that because I don't want to get in any more trouble. So let's move on to the next story. All right, so this one uh, comes from Outdoor Life, and it made me... Made me think there's an Instagram account. Brando, have you seen the Instagram account that is essentially videos of people doing dumb stuff when they're in like national parks, like Yellowstone? I forget what it's called. I follow it, but I can't remember the name of the account. It's just like countless videos of people like interacting with wildlife while they're in these national parks. And like sometimes they're getting screwed up by them. So the this headline reads, Yellowstone officials identify and find idiot who picked up bison calf. The tourists picked up a bison calf that had gotten separated from the herd, and then officials had to euthanize it. So story goes that there was a herd of bison crossing a river. Uh, one of the calves got separated, and maybe it couldn't make it like up the, the bank or something like that. So some, I'm sure some well-meaning fella, they didn't identify him by name. They show his picture. They say that he was from Hawaii. They're able to identify him. He goes out there grabs this this little bison calf and essentially gets it up the hill, like thinking, yay, look at me, I saved this animal's life. Well, unfortunately for that animal and for this fella, bison apparently, um, once their, I don't know, offspring have been separated from them and they've been touched or whatever by a person, they will not re-assimilate them into their group. They're damaged goods and the bison are like, sorry, young calf, but we don't want you anymore. So they say that the calf was causing like dangerous. They they tried several times to reunite the calf with the 
heard of Buffalo. They wouldn't take it in. They essentially said that the calf was causing like unsafe conditions because it was just kind of wandering around on the roads and people were going up to it and all sorts of stuff. So they ended up euthanizing uh, this calf. So again, the guy thought he was doing something good. I'm sure he was like, yeah, I saved this, you know, poor animal from whatever was going to happen to it. But in inadvertently, sentenced the thing to death. So he was ordered to pay a $500 fine, a $500 community service payment to the Yellowstone Forever Wildlife Protection Fund, a $30 special assessment and a $10 fee. What is a $30 special is like special assessment? What do you think that is? And a $10 fee. I don't know. It's such a, I find these fines and like things to just be so strange like, there's going to be an additional $30 for this special assessment. What do you think that gets used for? I don't know. It's just uh, interesting. So, yeah, the bison calf was euthanized. I wonder what they did with it after that. You think they just, like, go bury it somewhere? Because I bet bison calf is delicious, you know? I don't know. Can you eat an animal after you, like, poison it to death like that? I mean, maybe you can. Think about the poison-tipped arrows, that the guys use the pods that we talked about, they still eat those animals. So if you just use whatever that is, I can't remember the name of it that they put in it. You could, you could do it. I'm sure they're not allowed to, like it's probably some sort of conflict of interest, but think about it. I bet bison calf is delicious. It's like veal of the bison world. I would love to try some of that, but unfortunately it probably just all went to waste. There was another, uh, link to a video that I watched in, in here. And the, the link that got me said, watch this video or whatever. Drunk dudes harass moose and get stomped. Like, who's not going to click on that? <laughs> so this one was from April of 2023. But you got some dudes, they're in the snow. Brando, I'll, I'll, I'll have to link you to this so you can put... Um, this is a video of two drunk guys harassing a young moose outside of a bar in Big Sky, Montana. And then the moose like stomps these two idiots. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about people just getting like beat up by wild animals that will never get old to me. There's also another Instagram page I started following called uh, Kids Getting Hurt. I think it's what it's called. <laughs> it's so funny. It's got like millions of followers. And it's not, not like they're dying or anything. It's just, you know, kids being kids and like getting hurt doing, you know, mundane things. Uh, it's just a really funny page. You guys should all follow it. So let's move on. We got a couple other things we're going to talk about today. This one's actually hunting related. So Louisiana lawmakers say their state is overrun with alligators and they're calling for expanded hunting. So I learned through researching this, that they believe there are 2 million alligators in the state of Louisiana, which is a lot. But what I found even more interesting about this with this, they say that a million so half are actually like in captivity. So alligator farming must be a thing down there. I don't know if they're doing it for their skin or their meat or, or people are wrestling them. I, I, don't, I don't know why there's a million alligators in captivity. Maybe people just keep them as pets. But apparently there's a million um, out in the wild. So they say over the last 50 years, they went from fewer than 100,000 to more than 2 million alligators in the state. They are everywhere, said Republican Representative Neil Reiser. 
I think we're going to have to get to the point to expand hunting. I'd like to go shoot an alligator at some point. I think that would be fun. We know duck hunters who won't bring their retrievers to the blind with them in some duck holes because of the alligators. Makes sense. That would really suck. You shoot a duck, your dog goes out to retrieve it and gets chomped by an alligator. That's a terrible day. So, yeah, they're trying to raise awareness that we have too many alligators. So he put out a resolution that has cleared the House Natural Resources Committee without any objections. So everyone sounds like they're on the same page. Like, yeah, we we got too many damn alligators. I wonder what it costs to go hunt an alligator. You don't know. You you feel like you, yeah we we look up a lot of things around here. It's like we look it up and it's like I know it for thirty seconds and then I forget about it because it's some mundane thing where I'm like I could just look it up again if I need to know. Yeah, I felt like it wasn't very expensive to go alligator hunting. Louisiana, huh? I feel like Florida's got a lot of them too, but I think uh, Louisiana has more. Is what I read. They have more than Florida. I would have failed that if somebody like was like, hey, who do you think's got more alligators? Florida or Louisiana. I would have picked Florida for sure, but that appears to not be the case. So talking about invasive uh, animals that are that need to be killed, this was pretty cool. And this isn't really a bow hunting thing, but it's spear fishing, which I felt like was a close cousin, right? It's like underwater bow hunting to me with a with a spear gun. So this was, I saw this on Field and Stream. Spear fishers removed nearly 20,000 thousand invasive lionfish from the Gulf of Mexico in two days, two days, 20,000 lionfish. So they have uh, this annual Emerald Coast Open lionfish tournament set an all-time record for the removal of the invasive species, besting last year's total by more than 11,000 fish. So like last year, they killed what, 9,000? This year, they killed 20,000 lionfish. What do they do with them all? I didn't really say I did look up that you could eat lionfish, and they say it's delicious. So it's probably better than carp. Speaking of carp, can you believe that Illinois renamed Asian carp to Kopi? They were like, we can't call them Asian carp because, you know, that's that's racist. That's wrong. Even though that's like literally where they came from. They came from Asia. Why would we not call them an Asian carp? But they were like, no, we can't call them a carp because whatever, an Asian carp. So now they, they... they call them Kopi, but nobody actually calls them that except the idiots at the DNR. Like everybody else just still calls them Asian carp. Just like we still call the Sears Tower, the Sears Tower. You can call it the Willis Tower all you want. It will be the Sears Tower as long as I live. Now my kids, unfortunately, probably will never know any better. They'll just call it Willis or whatever stupid name it has. So uh, let's talk about lionfish. Um the lionfish started in like the nineties, they say. So we're talking like in 30 years, they went from, they suspect somewhere around like 10 fish to literally millions. I'm assuming millions. I mean, I guess they don't give a total count on population, but that's pretty crazy. So they removed a staggering 19,560 lionfish from the Gulf of Mexico in just two days. So there's And the reason all these guys are coming out there, divers from around the country competed for prize money totaling over a hundred grand in an effort to eradicate the invasive species from the Gulf of Mexico. The largest was caught by a diver from Team Dibs on Bottom. That's their their team name. I wonder how many people they can have on that team. It's an interesting look. Dibs on Bottom. Funny name for Pride Month, don't you think, Brando? (laughs) <laughs> and it measured 17.95 inches long, 
Wow. But this, I felt like, was most impressive. There's a team called Deepwater Mafia. They caught the most lionfish at 2,898 fish. 2,900 fish in two days. Where do you even put that many fish? Bend over and I'll show you. Um, yeah, this that's insane. I, I don't understand. This I thought was interesting. Uh, so they interviewed or got a quote from Eric Johnson, a professor of ecosystem-based fisheries at the University of North Carolina. He said, they are so thick if you know where to go. Anywhere there's structure, any artificial reefs or hard bottom areas where you can get any kind of relief, they just congregate there. There might be 20 fish within 10 feet of one another, and you can just shoot every one of them. They don't even move. They're so easy to catch with spears. Now that, to me, sounds like a great time. I mean, I imagine it's probably like beautiful. You're diving around. I've never dived, dove before. Uh, but it's probably awesome. You're just going around. I wonder what kind of spears they use. I mean, they're kind of little fish. You just use like a little handheld thing. We need to look this up, Brando, and find some YouTube videos of people spear fishing for lionfish. So when I think lionfish, there's two things that come to mind. First, the scene in Naked Gun when he's in the guy's office and he drops his pen in the in the fish tank and he has to go in to get it and the lionfish like attacks his hand. Great scene. Naked Gun. I don't know that it's an underrated movie because it's a, it's a classic, but man, what a great movie. I looked it up today. It came out in 1988. So eight-year-old me was watching Naked Gun, which was completely probably age inappropriate at the time, but it was the 80s. It was like anything went. I was watching Predator and uh, Friday the 13th movies, Nightmare on Elm Street, all that stuff back in the, I was young. Uh, but yeah, what a great movie. And that was before a OJ allegedly turned into a, like a crazy killer. OJ was in that movie. Hilarious. What a great movie, the Naked Gun movies. And then the other scene that comes to mind is Deuce Bigelow, another fantastic movie, maybe an underrated movie. Came out in the late nineties. So it was a while ago. And uh, I watched a lot of Deuce Bigelow back in the day in my apartment with my roommate. And uh, there's a scene where he uh, he's like watching the the gigolo guy's house while he's gone. You know, he assumes his identity. That uh, spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen it. And he and he wrecks the fish tank, and he's trying to keep all the fish alive. And he puts the lionfish in the blender. And I think the chick is blind, maybe, and she like turns the blender on blends up the lionfish. And then she's like, margaritas, anyone? It's a great scene. That's what I think of when I think of lionfish, which I did look it up. They say they're very tasty. So I've never eaten lionfish before, but for anybody who has, feel free to leave a comment and let us know what you think. So the last one we're going to talk about, and this isn't really um, anything newsworthy, but it is something I wanted to talk about because we just published this on bowhunting.com. And this is just important for anybody and I'm going to switch gears here. I'm going to get out of like newscaster opinion mode and we're going to go into actual like hunting talk because guys and gals, it's June. October is going to be here before you know it or September is going to be. We're three months away, like 90 days out from some of these seasons opening. Holy crap. That is insane. I know a lot of people want to change up stuff during the off season. They want to try a new release. They want to switch from an index finger to a thumb trigger. Or they're like, hey, man, I'm going to try saddle hunting this year. Or just whatever it is you're going to do. The overarching advice here is if you're going to do that stuff, now is the time to do it. Now is the time to go out, get your bow 
worked on, get new strings and cables put on. If you're going to switch to a new release, do it now and leave yourself plenty of time to learn it, figure out if you like it, get proficient with it before the season comes. So we recently published two articles on bowhunting.com. One, uh, my buddy PJ Riley wrote on how to shoot a thumb trigger release. Highly, highly recommend doing that. I switched years ago. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. Although I'm not sure I shoot any better with it based on my Lancaster uh, classic scores, but I feel cooler when I use it. So if you want to give it a try, do that now. The second one is all about like saddle hunting. And if you want to get into saddle hunting, now's the time to do it. I remember when I first started saddle hunting, I got my saddle during the summer. I climbed up in a tree like in August and I like was trying to figure out how to swing around and how I'm going to shoot and do all that stuff. And I was really glad that I figured most of that out before I got into the field and I didn't wait until like getting out in the woods. Now, granted, there's stuff you're going to learn when you're in the woods about setup, takedown, how high you like your tether, all this different stuff. But like now is the time to start collecting all the gear and modifying your stuff and really using it during the off season. So I'd highly recommend those two articles um, along with everything else on bowhunting.com. Get your new saddle gear now and how to shoot a thumb trigger release. Uh, the saddle gear um, article was written by Parker McDonald. Um, great dude. He's got his own podcast, Southern Ground Outdoors, I want to say is what it's called. Southern Ground forget the last part. Parker is going to kill me for that. It's just so easy when you subscribe to something like on Apple Podcasts. And I don't have to remember the name. I just have to remember Southern Ground and Parker and then I, I go to it. But yeah. Anyways, that is all we have got for this episode of The Pinch Point. As I said, it is June now. Uh, we need some rain here in Illinois. It has been awfully, awfully dry. I know we got these little couple pop-up storms yesterday, but that didn't really do much of anything. So... That's all I got, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, make sure you spread the word. Make sure you subscribe. Share it with all of your friends. We need as many viewers and listeners as we can get, except for the ones that don't like the swearing. Sorry, guys. Stick with Bowhunter Die. That's a little bit more family and kid friendly. I'm out of here. I need a refill on my coffee. We will see you guys next week right here on The Pinch Point.